Hey, Swim Out of the Boxers. This episode, we had the opportunity to speak with Vic Samal, owner and head PT of Volition Performance, his physical therapy and strength and conditioning practice based out of Vienna, Virginia. Vic's approach to PT is unique in that he utilizes breathing techniques to enhance his treatments to get you moving and feeling better. Let's get to it. Welcome to Swim Out of the Box. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Um, so we met, what, three or four weeks ago? Yeah. Four weeks ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met through a mutual friend who is a strength and conditioning coach, and you're a physical therapist. His name is Jared Brummett. We can, oh, we can say his Jared. name. <laughs> all right. Don't be all cryptic and weird. Jared. Hi, Jared. <laughs> I don't know if he listens. He probably doesn't, but that's just we can say hi. Um, <laughs> Someone else out there is probably named Jared. Yeah, it's fine. That's fine. Um, so the reason why we got connected together is because we speak a common language, which is PRI. Um, can you explain what PRI is? Yeah, I can give a... Uh, so no, PRI. No, no, no. We're going to chop this. We're going to go back. We're going to go back. Why? Back the trolley up. Vic, what do you do? What are you? A physical therapist. There we go. And you have your own business, correct? Correct. Okay. Now we can go into that. And you utilize PRI in your business. Correct. There we go. Now You're just not PRI? patient. You're just not patient. Nah, I like to flow. <laughs> All right. So, Postural Respiratory Institute. Restoration. Restoration. I always do that. It should be respiratory, though. Yeah, it should. <laughs> got to talk to Ron about that. Yeah, I know. Um, so, we both understand these concepts. You probably more so than I do because you're actually... A doctor, um, <laughs> and I am not. I am a swim coach. Um, so I always like to talk to people that have this understanding because it's helped me understand so much about humans and movement and breathing and posture. PRI, you mean? PRI, okay. yes. So go ahead, give a rundown of what PRI is now. <laughs> so PRI is just is like a uh, they use respiration as kind of the foundation of their treatment model. So they have certain exercises, certain activities that they try to restore this respiration, the respiratory variability, and then that enhances positions, certain positions that people can get into. And that's kind of their treatment model is that they use that as a foundation to try to increase um, uh, increase movement variability and then also increase the more some symmetries that people may have or asymmetries that people may have right. fallen into and then try to get them, I guess, quote unquote, more symmetrical, even though pure symmetry is not, not really possible. So but. you're using breathing techniques to help mm-hmm. movements. Correct. 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 Okay. Right. That's, I mean, that's really cool to me. Yeah. I, I think, um, one of the easy concepts to understand is that breathing affects posture and posture affects breathing. So what you were just saying, like about creating these postures or these positions to affect your breathing, your, your breathing is then going to affect your posture and your positions. Um, and I know that I am actively trying to put myself in different positions throughout the day because I'm going to have a natural tendency to sit a certain way or stand a certain way in to be a certain way, which is usually slumped over <laughs> and rolled forward. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I'm always constantly trying to find ways to counteract that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and fairly recently, what are we now at the beginning of COVID we got really into yoga and so that's one of the ways that I find I can put myself into different positions because that then forces you to, for at least for me, it forces me to get out of those slumped positions and open my chest up and open up my lumbar and, and things like that. Exactly. Um, so I come from it from a sort of a sports trainer's perspective mm-hmm. um, and specifically a swimming perspective. You come from not just physical therapy, but you are also a basketball player and so how do you use PRI on like a daily basis or maybe a weekly basis or how do you let it influence the way that you treat people? Yeah, so PRI was a good foundation. So I use a lot of the principles from it, but I've kind of 
just like in just physical therapy, just out of school, I've kind of evolved my treatment model to include PRI, but kind of take a step back and evolve my treatment model to include other, other aspects of human yeah. movement. So just physics in general. So one of the concepts that, that I really uh, liked from PRI was the respiration and kind of how, uh, how powerful that was getting into positions, kind of keeping certain positions and how that can affect, you know, downstream, how your arms move, how your thorax and your uh, pelvis can affect how your arms yeah. and legs move. And so that was really powerful that if someone came to me and they have a knee issue, I'm not just looking at the knee, which is kind of the reductionist viewpoint that they teach you out of school. Like, okay, your knee hurts. Let's see how the knee is moving, how the, uh, the muscles around the knee are functioning. But PRI kind of allowed me to step back and kind of see, okay, let me look at the whole body as an integrated whole and see how that is affecting downstream, how that is integrating into the knee pain. Right. And so when people come to me, regardless of whether it's from a performance standpoint or a physical therapy standpoint, because I work with as a trainer as well, I'm a strength coach as well. So I perform the same assessment. So okay. it's a battery of eight or nine movements that I want to see. And that tells me, gives me a pretty good idea about how they're moving as a whole and what their, maybe their um, biggest uh, deficiencies are from a movement standpoint and where I need to go with the respiration and how I need to load certain exercises and activities to bias, to not only increase their performance, but also increase their, decrease their pain at the same time. So kind of getting, getting both of their, um, both of their goals accomplished at the, at the same time. Yeah. So do you, so you've taken what you've learned with PRI and what you learned with physical therapy and you've sort of smushed them together. Exactly. So do you utilize that with everyone or is it, you see certain things and you're like, okay, got to put my PRI hat on or how does that work? So I just use just like what I was talking about with the spectrum. So if someone comes to me from a physical therapy standpoint, they're usually in pain and we want to get, so my emphasis on using more of those PRI type concepts is going to be more emphasized. So I want to restore the variability. Usually when people come to me in pain, they're really locked up because of the pain and maybe because of the activities that they're doing, they don't have enough variability. So that, what do you mean by variability? Movement variability is just movement options. So you, I like to think of it as like the elbow. So your elbow is, has a little bit of rotation, but mainly moves in this, this plane just Mm -hmm. up and down. Whereas your shoulder, you can move it a lot more. So it has a lot more movement options, a lot more movement variability. Do you not like the term mobility or do we like to split them up in terms? I mean, I know technically that's not mobility, but. Yeah, mobility is having access to the joints. Movement variability is kind of the more active approach to that. So actively doing something. So they always say you'll never see someone do the same squat twice, even though from a visual standpoint, it might look the same. From a, if you look at the actual joint movement, there's going to be some slight difference, whether, whether it be, you know, one degree, two degree, three degree, you never do the same squat twice. They're even like though snowflakes. It, exactly. Oh, <laughs> exactly. So, cute. So, so what I'm hearing is I should just do one squat and be done. Yeah, exactly. Done. Workout done. <laughs> but okay. yeah, from a physical therapy standpoint, I'll focus more on that if someone is in pain, increasing their movement variability to give them more options, maybe offload the, the tissue that's kind of driving that pain. Okay. And so, so it just sort of gives you another toolbox exactly. to use. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've started, um, when I first kind of was learning PRI stuff, um, I didn't really know how I could incorporate it. Mm. Um, and I think when we first met, we talked about how, um, you could use it as a strength and conditioning coach, as part of warm up and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. I just did that today with somebody. Yeah. So I'll have them do breathing exercises before they even get in the water sometimes. Mm-hmm. I try not to have to pull them out because of just being cold. Right. Um, but sometimes you don't realize that this person needs to warm up their breathing first on land and gain some of that variability or even mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm always really fascinated by the concept of mobility. Um, I'm, Just in general? Yeah, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit because remember when you were doing yoga, I wasn't there and you were like, I can't believe that girl in the video is stronger than I am. And I was like, well, she's probably not stronger than you. She just probably has better mobility because she can line things up 
and sequence things appropriately. Listen, no one should be able to do that pose. That pose is ridiculous. I literally, like, no. What pose was it? Flying pigeon. And I love... Oh, yeah, that's pretty hard. Listen, half pigeon is one of my favorite things. It's just a beautiful stretch, and you, like, lie into it. It's wonderful. It's my favorite way to end yoga. It's very painful for me. Flying pigeon. Gosh, what was it? Like, do you know anything about yoga? No. Ugh, Vic. Okay. Well... <laughs> There's no no point. I don't know, but you but were supposed to was... hold your whole body weight up in not the way that I'm used to. It was like ah, I don't get it. But I see what this I see what you You know what I'm saying, this. right? Yeah, no with way this... that the person in that video is stronger than me. Right. There's just no way. And I'm not just saying that because I'm so full of myself. But <laughs> I mean, I am. Because my girlfriend <laughs> That's does ridiculous. My girlfriend does like the Les Mills version, like the Les flow. Mills. Well, I oh, no, Les Mills. I know that. Yeah, name. so. Throwback. It's like a 92 name, right? Les Mills? Didn't no. Didn't you know the Bowflex? No, no. That's someone different. That's. Google Les Mills. <laughs> they have like, they have classes. So she's like a Les Mills certified in, they have combat and flow and some other stuff. Yeah. She does the flow, which is basically like a, a, a yoga type yeah type class almost, and yeah. so she's definitely not stronger than me but she can access those positions a lot more easily so right not necessarily strength it's being able to access those positions and so that's kind of right so plays so, into it's bullshit what it is <laughs> what's what is it oh no i'm talking about mobility no uh, mobility is not bullshit <laughs> is apparently some sort of version of um in my opinion um beach body maybe no, no. that's what this looks like it's kind of if you mean like at home stuff, he's got a bunch of of stuff here. A lot of the gyms will have Les Mills classes, and then there are people who are trained to do his stuff at facilities. You guys, I don't know. Okay, sorry, that's all right. So yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to me, like an infinite amount of interest to me, mm-hmm. of how someone can get into a position and it might just be slightly different than the next person, mm-hmm. but it allows them to access that, I'm going to say strength, right? Right. Where it's perceived strength. You look at that, somebody go, oh, that person's really strong. Or is it just positional? Yeah. Did they actually achieve it just because they have better mobility than somebody else? Yeah. That to me, I'm like, oh, mobility is so cool. Yeah. And I like to use the, I like to use the analogy of a power lifter. So mm-hmm. a power lifter that's that's kind of the continuum that I was just that I always refer and we were talking about earlier where you have you have performance and then you have kind of health yes. and wellness. So you have performance like a power lifter, you don't want them. You want them to have limited variability because you want them to go up and down with a bar on their back. Right. So if you take a top level level power lifter, they're not going to have a lot of movement variability because that doesn't play into their strengths and that doesn't play into what their performance goals are. Right. So when a power, if a power lifter comes to me saying, oh, I have knee pain, shoulder pain, I want to increase a little bit of their variability so that they maybe that's what's causing kind of the overuse. If you, the, as you limit the variability, you're going to increase the stress on certain tissues because you're going to increase, as you limit variability, the tissues that get loaded also become more narrow. Makes sense. So as if someone comes to me, a uh, power lifter comes to me with some knee pain, I'm going to try to increase his variability a little bit, which might decrease from his performance, but the pain that he's having is already decreasing from his performance. So the quicker I can get to him where I can increase his variability, then I can get him back into his movement. But I never want to decrease his, I don't want him, I don't want to ever make a power lifter a gymnast. First, that's probably <laughs> not going to be possible. But um, be comical. I would love to see a crossover powerlifter gymnast. But that's like that's what happens. That, that's what happens in traditional physical. That's what they teach you in physical therapy school. So if someone, regardless of what their performance are, if the powerlifter or gymnast, they're like, okay, stretch, stretch and strengthen, stretch and strengthen. So it's just very reductionistic, kind of um, naive viewpoint. Naive is a good word to use. Yeah. To and it's just not very well informed. And that's the treatment model. Is that's why. I ran into those issues and I was like, what can I do better? What am I doing wrong? Some patients that weren't getting better, what can I do better that I'm missing out on that I can add into them? And that's kind of where I fell into PRI and kind of other mentors that that were using PRI. Yeah, I think it's um, fascinating that most people don't understand 
that being optimized for a sport does not equal being optimized for life. Mm -hmm. So if you run every single day, you might be optimizing yourself for running, but not for life. Yeah. Um, and to kind of take your... Forrest Gump might disagree with you. Forrest Gump might disagree with me? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. He could. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but it's, it's also, going back to the powerlifter idea or concept um made me lose my train of thought Sorry, <laughs> my terrible joke didn't land didn't land and didn't and it completely distracted me <laughs> um uh just the idea that in in sport or high level sport you have to think of someone as a, a machine they shouldn't have any uh unnecessary movements right no machine is built with unnecessary parts or unnecessary movements. Yeah. Uh, but in life, outside of that, you can't think that way. Mm -hmm. You should have all these range of motions and opportunities to explore your, your space yeah, right? exactly. in every direction possible. Um, so it's like these two conflicting things that I think a lot of amateur athletes don't recognize yeah. and don't realize that there is going to be a give. Amateur athlete, because technically everyone is an amateur athlete. No, that's not true. They're pro, pro athletes. Football meant, players are listen, pro athletes. I'm pretty sure that like, <laughs> gosh, I was just about to say Amy Van Dyken. That is such a bad Where did reference. you pull that? I, know, I was going to be like, Amy <laughs> yeah, Van Dyken's not listening yeah. to the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swimmer from like the, like the 90s. Let me date myself here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just meant like, they're not listening to this. You're not talking to a pro athlete. So pretty right. much everyone is an amateur athlete, correct? No. What am I? What you, are you? You're, you're a casual athlete. Casual athlete. I am <laughs> mostly a couch potato. <laughs> okay, so then, then I, th I just think you need to just, like, you're not those Yeah, so an amateur athlete, basically amateur someone athlete. who isn't going to make money from doing an athletic endeavor. So I'm still that. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, you know, someone who trains for an Ironman doesn't recognize that their their passion for Ironman training might be detrimental to their actual longevity or their life. Yeah. Um, because in their mind, it's a very simplistic thought, I'm working out and I'm eating well, I'm healthy. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, yes, they are healthy. They're healthier than someone that doesn't do those things. Right. But ultimately, they are limiting the, them their mobility possibly, they're possibly limiting their range of movements mm -hmm. and getting into these fixed patterns. And that's that's how I think about it is, is what are the movement patterns of like a subconscious pattern that you're going to make? Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm constantly like, stick my butt out. Because this is a good example. I'm a fairly good example. If you see my posture, it's the posture of a swimmer. We all have a very similar posture for the most part. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect posture for swimming, for swimming. Um, exactly. my like, spine is so straight it's absurd it's it, i'm very worried know. for you <laughs> oh, i'm like legitimately worried for you for what because your spine is so straight right, we said that but why does that concern you vic I'm <laughs> no i think Perfect. it's a it's in it, that kind of lends into what i was i i consider it a continuum so whenever i see someone i they always have they always tell me their performance goals i'll always ask them what do you want to do and I tell them, if you want to, the person who has access to the perfect, you know, appendicular skeleton, I mean, I get them on the table to have access to all the ranges. That's an average person. That's a person that does a little bit of strength training, a little bit of cardio, is 170 pound male, uh, is going to live to 78. Uh, what, you know? how tall? hundred? <laughs> say say six. Right? Yeah. That, so again, six foot, average weight, average height, 5'11". That's average. So, but no one wants to be that. Everyone wants to be Superman. Ha have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's going to come at a cost. So there's some self-selection. You're not going to see uh, a swimmer that's a good swimmer that's built like a refrigerator. They're going to be <laughs> skinny, smashed. They're going to be thin. They're going to be narrow. They have to get through the water. Right. And so that's going to be their body type. Right. What you don't see are the anomalies that swim practice. Butterflyers. Butterflyers are usually built like refrigerators. Really? <laughs> there are some breaststrokers yeah. that I'm like, you are going to fall to the bottom of the pool so fast, and then they win, and you're just like, did you see that? I saw that. Did you? Yeah, and you always have the recorded? genetic freaks. You got people yes. like like LeBron who, right. you know, I just I saw a post on Facebook uh, the other day, and someone had posted a picture of a physical therapist about he, had, he was walking, and he had hyperextension in his knee and a little bit of varus, and... 
I made the comment that, oh man, if, if, if he would have seen a PT to correct that, he would have won three more titles. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, not really. I mean, really. the guys that he's been in, he's played, uh, I, I read something that said he's played in, uh, so the next, the next most active pl- player who's played the most minutes is Kevin Durant. And so he would have to play six full seasons to play as many minutes as LeBron has p- played up to this point. So he's okay. six full seasons in terms wow. of like load on his body wow. to the next most uh, to the next active player who's played the most minutes. Wow! So to say that like there's not variability or not genetic anomalies, I mean you're always gonna have that, but that's not ninety nine point nine. Right, they're outliers. Of the exactly. Right? There's always outliers, yeah. and you shouldn't base, in my opinion, you shouldn't base uh, technique approaches or uh, training approaches off of those outliers exactly and i know lots of coaches who do and that's where you see a lot of issues like a lot of people getting burned out a lot of people getting injuries because they can't maintain that workload or just for silly reasons like in swimming technique is like so important technique is priority really um but you go, well, Michael Phelps does that, or Katie Lina, he does that. Well, guess what? You're not either one of those two people. So don't try to be those two people. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's hard as a coach, and I'm sure you get this as a strength coach, that, well, I saw this video with this person doing this. Why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. You're not them. Yeah. Chill out. <laughs> like, yeah. It's okay. Guys, I'm not really sure that we explained why we're so concerned about my spine. That's pretty much the point of what we're talking about can, now. Can you explain why a very straight spine might be detrimental? Yeah, it's just, it has to do with what we're, we've been talking about, was the variability. Anytime you kind of change and uh, move yourself from that midline where you have a natural uh, curvature in your spine mm-hmm. towards one, you're going to lose variability somewhere because you have all the other things attached to your spine. Your ribs attach to your spine, which dictate how your thorax is positioned, which dictate how your shoulder how your blades shoulder. move. Exactly. Yeah. I'm in so, trouble, huh? Oh. Yeah, you are. You're you're in trouble. What in the world am I supposed to do? You can't, you can't do anything. give someone scoliosis. Well, all you can do is what you are doing. Try to maintain doing yoga. Try to maintain maintenance work, basically. Proper stretching, proper foam rolling, um proper exercise but there is no correction it's like treatment versus a cure yeah Mm. makes sense you are what you are once my understanding and please correct me if i'm wrong my understanding is once someone gets past puberty there is no cure it is just treatment after that point before puberty you can start to manipulate and make meaningful changes that will last yeah, I mean, it depends on the condition. Like, if you're talking something like a scoliosis where there's still that, um, basically, that developmental stage that's going to happen mm-hmm. where some of the tissue hasn't matured, you can kind of use a brace or use external constraints to shape how that's going to be. But Maybe change the way they breathe? Change Maybe. The way, and that can, <laughs> that can affect, again, for someone who has... It might not be pathological if that's mm-hmm. that's the shape of your spine. It might not be pathological, and you can't. No one can really say for sure whether that's going to cause issues downstream. But you want to try to maximize. Always want to maximize your variability. So if you're limiting, if you're limited in certain motions, then you want to try to access that to the best of your abilities. It's it's not going to be perfect, and no one has a perfect spine. They don't even know. I mean, there's, there's no definition. Yeah. 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 Everyone has a different experience. Everyone mm-hmm. has different genetics. And so it's about being able to access both ends, not getting stuck on one end as opposed to the other. So just like with breathing, you want to be able to exhale fully and inhale. What happens is people get stuck in one on one end, either mm-hmm. they're too exhaled or too inhaled uh, per se. But And so I always try to bring them back to where they what they don't have so i try to feed them in treatment or in strength even in strength and conditioning i'll try to feed them what they don't get Mm -hmm. to a certain extent so as to not take away from their performance makes sense i mean it makes sense yeah but i do have a perfect spine so So you have a perfect perfect spine spine. for swimming your your streamline is beautiful (laughs) maybe i should go back (laughs) (laughs) so i mean that's um one of the things that like just a side note it made me just think of this is we were talking about like everyone's going to be different. There's no like perfect thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I, I don't know why I like, I'm like my, my brain will like just grab onto like these little like snippets of, of 
interesting facts. And uh, we were talking about how everyone is right side dominant because of their asymmetry. Asymmetry, right? Everyone's sternum is shifted to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in one of the PRI classes that I took, somebody asked why. Why is somebody's sternum shifted to the right? And the best answer is inertia. That at some point in evolution, the spinning of the world caused inertia in our bodies to adjust to the right. Yeah. That's crazy. It's actually called precession. So you have, there is a a force inside which is rotating you to... So everyone does have the force. Everyone does have the force. (laughs) So there is a force that actually causes that. Yeah. So that was that's an accurate representation. And so that's kind of the basis of where this asymmetry comes from. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I didn't know about that. And I was like, that's really insane. Right? Because at some point, if you just keep asking why, you get to these base levels yeah. of, of like why things are. And this doesn't make any sense. Why why is everyone rotated towards the right in their thorax? I was like, that's so weird. And yeah. then someone way smarter than me figures something out and puts it out there. Yeah, and it's... And uh, I had this discussion with one of my mentors and he, he gave me a good analogy was that, so you have that, that force, internal force kind of spinning you to the left. So he was like, think about you're in a body of water and the current's coming from the left. So the way you kind of compensate for that is pushing yourself to the right. So how, how aggressively you push to the right has to do with who you are as an individual. Huh. So you have some people who are way shifted over to the to the right because they're pushing hard and other people are not as much. And so that's where, as a physical therapist, I have to see, I'll see that in their joint positions, in their variability. Oh, this guy is really right lateralized. How can I? So I really need to kind of push him, push him to the left and have him find his left side. Whereas someone who might not be as right lateralized, I just got to feed them a little bit and we mm-hmm. can get more into the training aspect and kind of keeping that. But then also one of the, the principles that I've been diving into more recently was how can I train that? So training asymmetrically feeds into that where I don't drive myself into that because if I'm going to train bilaterally, mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of reinforce that right lateralization Okay. because I'm using that. I'm not kind of counteracting. Whereas if I can push myself. That's why a lot of the PRI movements are very unilateral because you're trying to get them from one extreme to the other extreme. Yeah. So that's kind of, again, if you, if you understand these basic physics foundations, then a lot of the PRI stuff, you don't have to necessarily say, Oh, I'm a PRI guy. I'm a, you can say I'm a physics guy. Right. And that's, that's how I approach swimming in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and that PRI just helped me understand these concepts of yeah. the body so much more and, and just open my eyes to like all these things that traditional swim coaches probably have never really considered mm. or even put into practice. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that knowledge and that I, I actually got the chance to learn those things. Um, where was I going to go with this? Uh, so you're kind of new to the area, yep. right? How long have you lived in Northern Virginia now? A little over a year. Where did okay. you move from? Uh, I was in Hanover, Maryland. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Really. But before, didn't you come from? Illinois. Yeah. Illinois. So uh, I did my, I finished my doctorate at Governor's State University in Illinois. And then I moved with my brother. He got a job with the DOD in Maryland. So I moved to the East Coast for the first time in 2018, late 2018. Do you miss winter in Illinois? Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Because they had the, uh, that first winter, they had the, uh, what was that, that? Where they had like negative fifty, where they had, oh my shut God. The, they had to shut the city down. Like there was no one in the streets because it was unsafe to even a lot of people commute like walk. Right, so you shut couldn't even the city down. Basically, they had to shut the city down because they had to shut all the schools down because any any children wow. who couldn't take the bus or didn't have transportation, right. it was unsafe because of the frostbite. Within like one or two minutes, you could get frostbite. So like, I had one of the guys for the company I was working for. He said he went to a meeting in Chicago and he had never seen it that empty. Like wow. Just got from point A to point B, no cars in the road. Like it was just completely. So, um, give us where, where do you practice? So if people are, are looking for some expertise mm-hmm. in, and want to reach out to you, 
Where can they find you? How do they find you? So my stuff. home base is at SAPT, which is in Fairfax. Okay. Uh, same gym that Jared works at. Yep. Shout out to Jared again. Yep. <laughs> really nice facility. Again, has everything everything there um, from a strength and conditioning standpoint. And then also I've uh, coordinated with a couple gyms, one in Falls Church and one in Chantilly, also where I kind of have space available for. Oh, cool. To, yep. To get other people who want want to work with me personally one-on-one and then I kind of vetted some spaces that would be you know conducive to the things that I do because obviously some of the PRI stuff is a little bit you know more nuanced so I would yeah. be able to you know do that so, yeah so so how do people find how do people find you uh, my company is volition performance and physical therapy website is volitionperformance.com I'm on Instagram volition performance Facebook, same thing. So if someone just Googled Volition Performance, they'd yeah. find you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> most likely. Yeah. Good branding there. Yeah. <laughs> Way to keep everything the same. That's yeah. good. <laughs> really good. Uh, one of the other things that just kind of popped into my mind that is going back to our conversation about um, you know, performance or optimizing performance versus optimizing life, mm-hmm. um, basketball players tend to use their left foot more to jump off of because it's an explosive foot, mm-hmm. not a loading foot. Their right foot's the loading foot. And so I have been told, I don't know this, that you can train or position the pelvis through PRI differently to be able to jump off of both feet so that they're unpredictable. Have you ever tried to play with this since you have a basketball background? No, I have not. I've heard of it, but I it's it's really difficult and I feel like it would require a lot of time. So if yeah, you have an athlete if you have an athlete for several years, like where some facilities will have these athletes come back every year or you have them from a really young age, they start with you in middle school and they end with you, you know, going to college, then I think you can make some structural some I guess performance changes like that. Yeah. Um, they're always going to be biased towards that left side. And it was funny that you said that because the, the reason I got into physical therapy was because basketball left knee pain. Oh, look at that. So <laughs> you're average. <laughs> exactly. This was before I even knew what PRI was or had been exposed to it. And, um, now thinking back, I wish I would have been exposed to it a long yeah. time ago. Me too. I could have saved myself. Yeah. Me too. Absolutely. And I know I was, I was going to ask you, because resp- uh, PRI has such a big respiratory component, and I know respiration, especially with swimming, is such a, I know, like CO2 uh, k- kind of tolerance, being able to hold your breath and being, I know, Postural Restoration Institute, they really emphasize being able to exhale, fully mm-hmm. exhale, pause. How, how does that play into the, so into the swimming? So with swimming... Because you used to use PRI techniques. I do. I still do. Um, so with swimming, it's interesting... <sighs> You have to think about it in stages of ability. So when you're teaching someone how to swim and someone that's a beginner, they're taught to have almost a constant exchange of air so that they're blowing air out of their nose because as a beginner, you have to learn that because once you get water up your nose, you don't want to swim ever again. It's a terrible feeling. So you have to learn to have that constant pressure of air pushing out of your nose so you don't get water up it. And because of that, it is not good breathing. Um, it is the exact opposite advice that you would give any land-based sport. Right? You wouldn't tell someone to constantly blow out of your nose while you're running and then inhale through your mouth and then constantly blow out of your nose. Right? It's the opposite. Um, unfortunately for swimming, a lot of coaches stop there. They don't recognize that that is only for beginners or learn to swim. Once you get past the beginner um, and once you get past a certain level of effort, mm-hmm. uh, you can use walking versus running. If I'm walking down the street, my exhale and my inhale is very passive. All right? I'm not, it's not forceful in any way. But as soon as I start running, it is a much more forceful exhale. Right. Right? It's automatic for us on land. In the water, it also is automatic over time. It becomes like this, I don't know, subconscious thing that happens. You just do it. You just do it. And so it was like probably like four or five years ago. Um, Swimbox does a book club mm-hmm. where like we'll read scientific articles and discuss them. Like 
this is an interesting thing. I know mostly around swimming, mm-hmm. but not always. Um, and one of the articles was talking about how swimmers will inhale through their mouth. You have to inhale through your mouth. Um, they hold their breath, and then they have a forceful exhale moments before they reach the surface to cause a vacuum in their lungs, and that vacuum is reflexively inhaling for them. Make sense? Yeah. You following that? Yeah. I and because we were all told you got to teach people to blow out of their nose all the time, so you're constantly, constantly. blowing that you're constantly blowing out of your nose. All right. So this article was sort of saying the exact opposite of that. That's like not explaining that as well as he should like one of the first things you learn when you're a kid like when you're learning to swim or when you're learning to swim at all is that like that will save you blowing water out of your nose blowing air out of your nose don't get water (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) blowing air out of your nose like it's drilled into you from the beginning like that's your savior like something's wrong like you're feeling uncomfortable blow air out your nose so like it's not just becomes this thing like it's your fallback so it's it's even more yeah it's ingrained ingrained in you than just like oh you're supposed to blow bubbles out your nose like it's very it's a big thing to unlearn. So is that like are the top level swimmers doing still doing that? Or? No. Mm-mm. Well, let Someone's me let me. There's some nuance here. Yeah. Um, so during that book club, the four instructors that you know at that time it was just the four of us. Um, we we're like let's let's see what we do. Mm-hmm. Go swim. And just pay attention to what your breath is doing. Because at some point, like any sport, you don't think about it. You just do, mm-hmm. right? Because if you are thinking about it, you're probably going really slow. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and three out of the four of us all agreed, we do not constantly exhale. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, a running breath where you're like, inhale, inhale, inhale. And when you kind of like recognize it, it's almost this empowering moment like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. And then I started training my swimmers to learn how to cause that vacuum to automatically inhale. Because once you get that, breathing and swimming becomes so much easier. You just have to worry about the exhale. And then to go even further down that line of, of thought, going back to, you know, some people live in a more open inhale position. Mm-hmm. Some people live in a more closed exhale position. I want my swimmers to be closer to an exhale position while they're swimming. Mm-hmm. It keeps their spine straighter. It's going to keep their center of buoyancy in a better position as well, preventing them from causing drag. Mm-hmm. And with that, there has been some studies that show if you're in a closed position of your ribs and closer to an exhale position, you can generate more force, right? They've seen it in uh, deadlifts. Um, so, I train that. I actually try to get people to close their ribs a little bit more than what they think they should or is comfortable to them. And so that forceful exhale closes that rib, those ribs even better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really focus on that. Now, kind of, yes? I think also to go back to what you asked about, like are all of the like, Olympians That's what and I was stuff. About to address. Oh. So let me address that because this gets weird. This gets really weird, actually. Excuse me, let me step back into my corner. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, so, so there's this idea out there that you have to blow air out of your nose all the time. But if you watch Olympians, that's that's who you're going to watch under the water because that's who's being filmed in races underwater. You know what I mean? Um, some do, a lot don't. But there's this new dumbass, really fucking dumb idea that How if you, dumb. Is it? It's really dumb. <laughs> that if you blow enough air out of your nose, that air travels under your body and gives you lift. And that is bullshit. We are not boats. You do not have enough air to generate that <laughs> lift. That's bad physics. Good physics if you're a boat <laughs> and you exactly. can have a, a pump, right, that's drawing air in and shooting air underneath you because there are boats that do that. And that's where this concept comes from, by the way. And this is actually taken off, like... No, I don't know if it's taking off. Unfortunately, people that have a, a big uh, audience are promoting uh, this idea. Uh, uh, and I think it's very detrimental to the world of swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just, I have not seen any actual evidence to demonstrate that A, someone could produce that much air, and B, that that amount of air would give you lift in the water. Uh, it would make more sense to me to keep 
some air in your lungs to give you that buoyancy, not under you because that you can't direct where that air goes. Yeah, exactly. And then you're also causing turbulence through your limbs. So why would that, boats don't cause turbulence like that. Yeah. So why would that air stay in that direction, right? It, I don't know how you could do that. Yeah. And I, I, I don't even understand in good conscience how you could tell someone to yeah. do that. Because just basics physics would tell you differently. I mean, like, when you first told me, I just started laughing because I was like, uh, is this like a joke? Right? <laughs> and, and But I get people that are, are very smart, very smart swimmers, very smart clients of mine, that they read this or they hear about it, and they're because it's coming from that source, mm-hmm. they're buying into it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's not how this works. Yeah. That's yeah. not how this works at all. Exactly. Um, and so what that, in another sort of, negative to that is if I'm blowing all of my air out, then I have to inhale a tremendous amount of air again, mm-hmm. which is going to open my ribs up and going to turn my posture sort of in a, uh, what I would call a very heavy drag posture. Mm-hmm. You're going to create a wall with your chest basically just to get all that air. Yeah. And my approach is much different. My approach is what's the smallest amount of air you need to get to the next breath. Mm-hmm. And we know in swimming, that the more breaths you take, the more drag you're going to cause. So uh, a 50 or 100, you should be limiting your breathing. Mm. However, at a certain point, not getting enough air becomes detrimental. And people don't understand how easy it is to go into oxygen debt. Mm -hmm. And so I want people to breathe frequently with good technique to reduce drag, but never having to take in deep breaths to open the ribs up. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I developed a protocol that I called uh, foundational breathing method mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Um, and it has helped all of my clients, hands down, all of my clients. And then in a month, I think, was it November? I think in November, we're going to try to do the breathing uh, in service oh, okay. that I invited you, yeah. will be inviting you to. <laughs> you have an open yeah. invitation. Um, so you'll, you'll get to see all that in November. Yeah. Um, because it is nuanced. It's, it's how you breathe on land, how you're going to breathe on water, uh, the timing of when to turn your head to breathe. How do you actually turn your head to breathe? How do you exhale? How do you inhale? So there's all these like layers to it, Mm -hmm. um, that I can probably, what I've did a two hour long, was it two hours? How long was my, an hour long in, in class (laughs) clinic? (laughs) <laughs> an hour-long in-class clinic and then a two-hour in-pool clinic. For FBM? Yeah. Is that what it was? What was the format? Do you remember? We did 90 minutes in the classroom. Then we did 90 minutes in the pool. Then an hour of, of dry, land. dry land. Doing like kind of basic PRI yeah. exercises. Right? But I mean, it, it was it's, it's very interesting for swimmers who've been swimming for a while because he's like, remember all the stuff that everyone's taught mm-hmm. you for forever? No. Let's do something different yeah. and like in a very short period of time. And you have to be willing to let yourself try. Otherwise, you'll never feel the differences. And it's that can be kind of frustrating because it's actually very simple to do. Um, but understanding how to get into that position can sometimes you people can put up roadblocks without even knowing it. Cause they're like, there's no way that's correct. Mm-hmm. And you don't even know that you're preventing yourself from getting into a better position, which affects everything else in a positive light in swimming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting move. So we did, um, a clinic in, where were we? Irvine Mm -hmm. and it was well received, but even within the clinic, the guy that invited us to do the clinic, he was a master's coach and he was very big in the tri world. Mm -hmm. Um, shout out to Mike Collins and very nice guy. But even in the clinic, he disagreed with where I, the timing of when someone should start their breath. All right. That's that is the swimming world. Like it's always like, no, this timing's not right. No, that timing's not right. This timing's right. Right. right and so right. there's always these debates, discourse about technique stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm always right. So it's, yeah, I know. Exactly. It, so. <laughs> and that really resonated with me with like the unlearning stuff, especially with yes. like the breathing and the respir- respiratory stuff. Like just even having a squat, like I'll have someone, I have a guy right now and he was told just, just it was beating his head that, Oh, you got to sit back. Don't let your knees come over your toes. So he comes, his toes come all the way off when oh. he tries to squat. Wow. So I had him do. How does that 
he's just so far, he pushes his center of gravity so far back that he's literally falling backwards. So this last session, I, I um, recorded him doing uh, a squat. Like I had him get into a hinge position and he was doing some seesaw rows, basically a unilateral movement where he's doing one, one arm row and then left arm or row, right arm row, but in a deadlift type position because he was like, my, my deadlifts are hurting my back. So I was like, let's look at the position because I, it's always a position, you know, issues 99% of the time it's a position issue. Yeah. So I get him in a, and he's squatting his deadlift first of all. And I was like, okay, let's change that. Then I wanted to reinforce that position. So I was like, okay, let's do these rows where he's, you know, challenging that position, but it's isometrically. And his toes, through his shoes, I can see his toes coming off, like curling up. So I was like, imagine your feet are in, like, quicksand. Imagine your feet are in cement. Like, they can't come up. And it immediately, it looked like I was the best coach in the world. Because I was like, (laughs) imagine your feet are heavy and your hips go back. And his first comment was, oh, man, that feels so much better. And it looked so much better. I recorded the before and after. And, like, he was rounded and he was, like, slowly coming up. I had him get in a good position. His legs were shaking all over the place wow. because he had never even he used. Know how to use those muscles. Yeah, he doesn't know because yeah. once I got the position, he was using muscles he never actually used. So once I got him in that actual hinge position, it was literally like one inch shaking, like he was quivering like both ways, and you can see it on the video. It was it was just really funny. That is funny. To see. Yeah, he was so mad at you. Low, low yeah, key. He, low key. Oh yeah, <laughs> he, and then he was like, "Oh, I, I was I was supposed to be doing that the entire time," and I was like. Yeah, I, he's like, I just can't ever, you know, rewire my brain to think, oh, all I've been ever ever been taught is hips back, you know, mm-hmm. load the hamstrings, load the glutes when he doesn't understand. When I got him to do the better position, he was actually loading his hamstrings. Right. Glutes. Before, he thought he was right. because, oh, I just, as long as I push back, I'm doing this. The farther back I push, the Was better. he, like, exactly. loading his yeah. back extenders instead? Exactly. Oh. And that's why he was feeling it in his back because he was rounded. So he was like this, his hips were back, but his back was rounded. So he wasn't really loading anything besides his back extensors. Yeah. So I got him, put your feet down, get grounded in your feet, and then sit back. And then he was shaking all over the place from a row. He wasn't even doing a deadlift. Wow. He was just in that position That's, and he was shaking. So. It's funny, but I also know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've you, all been there. You did that to me with my lats. Explain. I literally, I've been swimming since I was six. So I've been swimming for over 26 years and I never utilized my lats, the biggest swimming muscle mm-hmm. ever. And I didn't know that. And so I, I have a tear in my labrum and my right side. Um, and I was like, freestyle just hurts, I guess. Okay. And I don't, was it like three years ago? Probably. Does it like three years ago, he like, I, I started, let me, let me rephrase that. I started listening to the things he was telling me to do. And I finally could catch properly. And it was just like, oh my God, I, ha- I A, have never used these muscles properly. Mm-hmm. B, I finally, like, I, I can actually swim this stroke now. And then I was pissed because I'm like, what could I have done <laughs> if yeah. I'd actually done this properly? But it was just like, really? Like 30 years? Like, and I'm, I yeah, still, if I don't think about it, I swim exactly. the way I used to swim and it is so painful. So I'm like, grateful, but like, really? Yeah. That's like my basketball experience where I was like, oh, I've been just hanging out on my, you know, right side the entire time. And if I ever use my left side, you know, efficiently, I probably wouldn't have, you know, dealt with the knee pain that I dealt with right. for yeah. you know, like a decade. It, you're like bummed out. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, it's such a weird thing. And that's right? why, yeah, that's why I was like, I really want to help people mm-hmm. kind of expose them to this model to get them out, especially if I can get athletes who are younger and so I'm like, okay, right. well, I always tell my story. I was like, listen, this is, I played basketball for a long time, but I didn't really care to, you know, respect position and all this other stuff. Yep. I was just playing, but then eventually that catches up to you. So it was just performance, 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 not kind of pulling myself back right. to being able to get. So I was really good at basketball and really good at jumping, but not really good at being able to touch my toes at any point or not being able to access positions overhead, anything besides basketball positions. Right. And there's a cost to that. Yeah. I, I mean, my experience, which is very frustrating because it was a very simple fix. My experience was I had shoulder problems throughout my like early swimming career. 
and physical therapists. This was like in the 90s. Mm. They told me stop doing butterfly. I didn't. I never did, really did that's it. That's not a solution. It's yeah. not. Stop doing they that. Didn't, they gave me the basic, you know, internal and external, mm-hmm. like, rotation for your shoulder exercises. Um, uh, my swim coaches, they didn't know how to help. Well, I'm hypermobile, just like a lot of swimmers. Mm-hmm. All someone had to do was teach me how to use my shoulder blades. That was it. I was pulling with my shoulder joint. Yeah. Nobody had the... the concept that hey hypermobile people use their joints not their muscles maybe we should teach this person how to use their muscles it could have been solved could have been solved so easily Mm -hmm. but instead fast forward i think what three or four years i had surgery on both of my shoulders and now i have a very very limited range of motion and i can't get into yoga positions as well (laughs) yeah but just think if you hadn't had that would we even have a company no exactly and exactly. I would be a physical therapist, probably. Right. It, it all happens for a reason. Yeah. We have to thank all of the people we stuck Exactly. <laughs> but, but going back to your, your deadlifter, the concept or the relationship between hamstrings and back extenders mm-hmm. is such an important thing that people need to understand, even in swimming. Um, open ribs, that inhale position of open ribs, I was saying, causes a lot of drag. But also... It prevents shoulder blades from moving up and down the the rib cage, forcing people to use their back extenders more than they need to, underutilizing their hamstrings. And it's been my experience that most people underuse their hamstrings anyway, all right? And so I'll get uh, clients that are in pain. Um, They have seen physical therapists, but swimming is kind of a weird sport when it comes to sport Mm -hmm. medicine. And so they get referred to me. And then, just like you, I look like an amazing coach because <laughs> I know how to turn off their back extenders and get their hamstrings to turn on. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, that pain goes away. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, their shoulder blade is moving, kind of, right? It takes a little bit more than a session, yeah, yeah. right? But then, all of a sudden, their shoulder blade is moving, and they go, oh, I never thought that my shoulder blade had to move. I just thought it was just all shoulders. Yeah. Like, Whoa! That's crazy to me. Yeah. So, And, and that's, like, that's where I got into being able to answer this question with athletes. So in, in traditional physical therapy, like in PT school, they'll teach you how to manage these very like simple cases where in some cases it might be someone who's super deconditioned and that internal external rotation exercise might work. And okay, uh, we'll progress from like a red band to a yellow band to a green band, whatever it is. But then my experience was, what about these athletes? I would get, and this was a, a experience of a lot of the people that I talked to who were in my class well, I don't really know how to work with athletes. Like, and they would refer to me, Oh, Vic, you're, you're like a strength coach. You know how to work with athletes. Even within the clinic, I would have therapists who were senior to me say, Hey, I have a baseball player. I don't really like, it's just that simple. I know how to do internal, external range of motion and strengthen their rotator cuff muscles or what they think they're strengthening. And then what do I do beyond that? It it just stops. Their model stops there. So I was like, how do I evolve my model to kind of accommodate for these more nuanced athletes where, oh, I need to get into a position where I need to snatch. Well, internal external rotation with like a yellow band isn't really going to get you there. So how do you get, well, I got to get the scapula moving. I, how do I get the scapula moving? I got to address the thorax. How do I address the thorax with a diaphragm, with the respiration? And so that's where it all came full circle. And I was like, oh, I can really do a lot with just respiration. I can clean up so much with respiration. And then beyond that, exercise selection being able to kind of select the exercises such that it feeds what they need and kind of decreases what they've already gotten so a lot of people who are oh i bench i can bench 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 well let's try to get you rowing let's try to get you in a better position let's try to get your shoulder blade moving right and so let's see how that takes stress off and they're like oh man i can you know they get really good results and they think you're like a magician even though you just (laughs) simply understand the body a little bit better yeah i mean it's literally for me like it's like maybe i understand the body 10 percent more than they do yeah because i'm not a doctor um but yeah i think there's something else to be said about athletes in in working with athletes they are usually somewhat competitive Mm -hmm. all right and so if you ask them to do something like get into a certain position and without giving them exactly how to get into that certain position they will cheat it and i think somebody who isn't aware of that, like a physical therapist that doesn't work with athletes, will ask them to do something, but not realize that they're compensating exactly. and cheating that position. And I, I was doing a, 
PRI class for coaches. And it was some variation of a pistol squat. It wasn't really a pistol squat. And the instructor was like, you're doing something weird. I don't know what you're doing exactly because I don't get to see that very often. Mm -hmm. But there's something going on with that left leg while you're trying to do that pistol squat. Comes to find out, well, through some physical therapy friends of mine and um, some body working people that I know, just like my shoulders, my hip ligaments are pretty loose as well. And so what was happening is I was compensating because my my little my leg is kind of falling out of my hip, all right? And so it's they, they, she, she could see what was happening when I was compensating, but she couldn't put me on a table and, and examine me properly to tell me what exactly was happening. Mm-hmm. But because she was sort of well-versed in knowing that athletes are going to cheat positions, yeah. she could recognize that cheated position pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that's very difficult to see in swimming because there's so much going on in swimming. Um, but something that people should be aware of that just because you think you're performing that as it should be, you're probably cheating it. Yeah. And that's why I like to do my, I do a movement assessment and then I do a table joint assessment. So I know if I have them do a, uh, both within the same session. So I'll have a battery. I'll have them do a squat. It looks clean to the eye. Then I get them on the table and they have no internal external range of motion to the hip. Well, that tells me you didn't get there authentically. There was something right. that you were doing as a secondary compensation to get there. It might look okay, but that's why you kind of have to do both pieces. Okay. Yeah. So if I know your joint isn't moving in that range, but it looks like it can, well, where are you getting, where are you accessing that range of motion from? Where Where are you getting, if you're that tight in the hip, where are you getting this? Okay, then you're getting this from your lumbar spine. You've compensated and found a way. And again, athletes are the best at doing that. They're the best yeah. at they're the best compensators because they're yeah. able to perform at a high level with limited variability and still get a lot out of it. And yeah. that's what defines and like an athlete. So. When I was in high school, I remember the physical therapist telling me, "You're you're a really great compensator." And you know, I didn't know what that really meant back then. They should have. Of course, they just say it, and you're like, yeah. Oh, what? They should have known what that meant back then, but they were just like, "Wow, you compensate all over the place. You're really good at compensating." And I was like, "Yeah, haha. <laughs> I didn't know what that yeah. meant." You know? <laughs> so you know, it's just funny how you kind of had these. Exp- I have these experiences, or you have these experiences, and you kind of can reflect back on them in hindsight. You're like, "Man, I wish I knew what I knew now." Yeah, exactly. So. All right, let's wrap this up because we're actually almost at an hour. Um, this flew by. Yeah, I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> um, so one more time, how can people find you? Find me. Best place is probably volitionperformance.com. That's my website that has information about my background. You know, this the whole assessment process, how to get a hold of me to get like a session with me. Um, and then Instagram where I, I'm starting to post more stuff. Um, but haven't really built that out yet, but I'm trying to make an exercise database because as you know, the exercises are a little bit more nuanced. I've been recording and sending to specific patients, but I'm going to, I'm working on the database right now, but cool. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot of, because it's, it's, it's too nuanced to, I I can't find like, you know, on, I I was looking on YouTube and being like, okay, PRI exercises, but it's a little bit more nuanced, um, because different people compensate differently and they need to drive. I need to drive different things with different people. And so that's where that individualization comes and that comes from the right. assessment. So it has to be specific. I mean, uh, that's movements. Awesome. That's yeah. Just, yeah. That's, that's just, like yeah. above and beyond, that's which insane, you need yeah. to, I mean, I, I feel like that. I think everyone should be doing that. Yeah. It's just physical like, therapies. They're not. So that's great. That yeah. Because in, incredible in the in normal clinics you're gonna get they have like a database where there's just right. external rotation whatever whatever and you choose from that but that's not specific so my assessment is very is very general that gives me leads my exercise prescription so my exercise prescription prescription is very specific to that individuals to the point where i sometimes will record specific exercises with all the cues and send it like upload it and then send it to them because it has to be that specific to get the best results. Right. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I like it. Yeah. That's yeah. why I wanted him on the podcast. He's amazing. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up. Um, as always, you can find us. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all the things, comment. <laughs> Instagram is swim underscore box. Facebook, just, you know, just Google swim box. 
unless if you go to swimbox.com, then you'll buy some sort of pace clock out of the UK. Don't do that. Go to <laughs> so the our, swimbox. Our, our URL is the swimbox. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> so that's why. All right. That it? You good? I'm good. I'm great. All right. Thanks, Vic. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.